At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to summertime almost in Michigan. We're closer and closer there. It's a beautiful, was it 90 degrees today? Uh, so thank you guys for being here. Hopefully the air conditioner is nice and cool. Um, if you're joining us online, hopefully you're nice and cool in your home. We're glad that you're with us today uh, online. Hopefully some of you are on your boat at least watching us online. If that's the case, call us, let us know. Maybe we'll do a remote service from your pontoon. Um, I'm kidding, but not really. So um, my name's Alex, by the way, if you don't know me, I'm not Jim, I still have some hair. Uh, Pastor Jim is currently, I always got to throw that in there, uh, Pastor Jim is currently on sabbatical. He started that this week, uh, and so he is right now um, on a special retreat just for lead pastors, and so continue to pray for him uh, over this summer for he and his family as they just recover and rest well, uh, as they get replenished and ref, uh, refilled, refueled, uh, so that when he comes back in August that we can really just benefit from what God has poured into him over the summertime. So uh, I'm, you're stuck with me for a little bit. I apologize for that. Hopefully it's not too bad. We've got some great uh, men coming in to deliver uh, messages from God's word over the summer, and so I hope that you'll stay tuned in, plugged in, as we continue to just uh, look to the scriptures and see what it is that God has for us. Um, speaking about sermons and, and all those things, um, I, I think I've talked about this before, but the way that we go about here at Woodside, uh, really understanding and planning what it is we want to teach through, uh, there's a pastoral team, and they gather together and they begin to pray. And what they do when they begin to pray is they just ask the Lord, what is it that you would have us teach? And as they, as they pray, as they listen to the Lord, as they look at really what's going on and they look at the scriptures, um, that's oftentimes when the Lord begins to say, hey, here, let me show you what it is I want from my church. And so this book of Lamentations, right, in, in a logical thinking, a book of sorrow at the beginning of summer doesn't usually make sense, right? I mean, we can all be honest there. It doesn't usually make sense. I was the first, uh, you know, response to say, oh, why are we doing lament in summertime? But we have been overwhelmed by the way that our church has received and embraced and dived into this book of Lamentations, not only here at our campus, but at all the other campuses around it's been an amazing and beautiful thing to watch as the Lord has used this book to really empower, to unlock some things that maybe some people have buried down deep in their hearts for a very long time. And so this has been a really great uh, thing for us to watch, to be a part of, and to just to celebrate what God's doing in and amongst his church. And so... Uh, Again, going back to the premise of why they even chose that, when we start to think about the last year and a half, um, there's obviously a lot of crazy things that have happened. You go from COVID-19, you go to the racial injustices that occurred, you go to the election cycle. There's just been things over and over and over again that have occurred. And really what we see is that there's a great sense of loss in people, a great sense of loss. What I mean by that is that there's been a loss, maybe physically, of a loved one. People have lost people in their family. People have lost coworkers. There's been a loss of employment. Many people went through a time of unemployment because of uh, whatever was going on. There's been a loss of stability, right? 
All of us have kind of had a great routine. If you're a parent, you loved sending your kids to school and you just had to power through the last year or so of having to wrestle with, well, do they get to go to school today or do they have to stay home and do school from home while I'm working? All of that fun stuff. There's just been a long period in time of loss. What do we do with that? How do we process that? How do we handle that as followers of Jesus? And so this book of Lamentations, what it does is it gives us some language to really begin to categorize how we're feeling, to begin to say, okay, what is this emotion that I have and why is it that I have this emotion? Or to say, I don't know why I feel this way because everything else around me kind of is looking good, but I don't know why it is that I feel kind of stuck in this place. What do I need to do in order to get out from that place? And so when we go to the book of Lamentations, what we have here in this book is we have kind of the guide and the direction of how to process this feeling and this sense of loss in our life. I'm going to give you four words. They're not going to be on the screen. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these four, four uh, action words down. Turn, complain, ask, and trust. There's a pastor in the Midwest, Mark Vrogob, and uh, I believe Josh spoke about him last week, as did Pastor Jim. Um, but um, he really wrote this book that really is kind of fueling and helping us understand lamentations and to lament a little bit better. And he came up with these four things, turn, complain, ask, and trust. And what we see here is that this is the way that we're called to, as believers, how we're meant to bring our grief, bring our sorrow, bring our anger, bring our frustrations before God Almighty. We turn to him, we complain to him, we ask him, and then we trust him. Those four words, if anything today, Remember those four words. Turn to him, complain, ask, and trust. And yes, I said complain. You're allowed to complain to God. I don't know if you've ever read the Old Testament, but most of the Old Testament has a bunch of what? Complaints. Why, God, are you doing this? You just delivered us from slavery. Why did you put us in the desert? We've been in bondage for centuries, and now you brought us to this place, and we don't have anything to eat. Why? Why, 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 why? So let me uh, just make sure that we're also caught back up on kind of our setup and context for Lamentations. Uh, it, originally, in the Hebrew, it's actually called the book of how. So Lamentations, the five chapters that we see, that's kind of our English interpretation of it. But it was actually five individual poems. And all five of the poems come together to create one overarching uh, literary form. And the majority, I think from our vantage point, chapters two through four, in the Hebrew, the first stanza of every line is the word how. How God? How can this be? How could this occur? How could you? How? You just, it goes on and on and on. And so in ancient traditions, Lamentations was known as the book of how. How could this be? How could this be? Uh, Jim talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, when we look at the current situation that we believe Jeremiah to be the writer of Lamentations, what he's doing is he's talking about what he is seeing in the present, and that is the destruction and the desolation of Jerusalem, and hence the entire destruction of the nation of Israel. 
the Babylonian Empire came in, and they completely overran, overtook, destroyed, and scattered God's people all throughout the, the known Middle East today. And Jeremiah, we believe, comes up on the scene and sees the desolation of Jerusalem. It's still smoldering. It's still broken and beaten down. It's people who used to be Jews. Now some of them have chosen to go cross-cultural. And now they're acting like they're Babylonians. And they're embracing the worship of other gods. They're embracing these things. They are in such uh, destitute places of starvation and pain and hunger that they're doing unspeakable things, which you can read about in Lamentations chapter 2 and 4. It is not a pretty scene. And it's a scene that God foretold in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you put your finger there, or write that down to go and read it. It's about 70 verses. It's kind of a long chapter. But in that, God tells them, here's what I'm going to do when you obey. Here are the blessings I'm going to bestow upon you when you obey. Likewise, here is what I'm going to do when you disobey. Now, this is where some people kind of get this bent where they say, God, your God is not a loving God. Look at all the horrible things he allows to happen. Look at all the horrible things he's done. Look at all these, look at all these, look at all these. Sometimes the people that have that criticism, I think probably aren't parents. If you're a parent, I hope your parenting style, I hope you tell your kids what to do. I hope you expect things from your kids. I hope you tell them, hey, here are the things I love for you to do. Here are the things I don't want you to do. And when you do those things I tell you not to do, here is your consequence for that. If you're a parent, you know this to be very true. Your kids test the boundaries of how far they can get to touching their brother or sister without actually touching them to see whether or not you're going to see and then discipline them for that. They push the envelope. Good parenting, I'll say this out here, and then y'all can email your complaints to Josh Miller, but good parenting is you follow through on your disciplines. If you're going to tell your kids not to do something and they do it anyway, don't go lighthearted on them. Show them, love them well enough to say, because you did this, therefore now I have to do this because I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. This is maybe a, a small picture of what we can believe to be how God treats his people. I told you what I wanted you to do. Here, I've laid out the expectations. Here is what I desire for you. And because you don't do it, I have to respond to you. Otherwise, I'm not a good father. I'm not a just and holy and righteous being. I'm just kind of whatever. And God in his holiness and his righteousness says, I have to do this. I have to do this because I love you. So that's just the context of Lamentations, right? And I keep saying, again, supposedly Jeremiah, but what he begins to do in this poem from 1 through 5 is he begins to talk about very specific details, all of these things that have happened that should not have happened. And why did you allow these things to happen? And why is it this way? And why are our people this way? And it's so much deeper than just him communicating his preference style. What the author's not doing is he's not saying, God, it would have been really great if you could have done this instead, instead of the way that you actually acted. What he's doing, it's something so much deeper, and there's so much more emotion that's behind it. 
you are an emotional being. I don't know if you know that. You have emotions. Those of you who think that you don't have emotions, you have emotions. It's why whenever you see a sunrise, you get that kind of excitement, maybe the goosebumps, the hair stands up on the back of your head. You're just kind of like, man, that's beautiful, right? Or maybe whenever you see your child do something that just brings you um, just joy and just kind of a, a, a righteous pride of like, I'm so proud of my kid. That's an emotional response. If you're a hunter and you're in the, in the stand and you see that animal come into your shooting lane and you get the thing called buck fever, that's an emotional response. So all of you men who think you're not emotional, guess what? You are, okay? Um, and then even to go so far as to say, whenever you just have this feeling when you wake up in the morning and you're like, I just don't want to do today. You're an emotional being. And you're an emotional being because you're created in the image of God who is, in fact, an emotional being. God has deep emotions. We see it here in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The difference between God Almighty and you is that God controls his emotions. His emotions don't control him. And that's what we struggle with as human beings is we become overwhelmed sometimes with emotions. We become overwhelmed to the point where we're not able to process and think clearly. What the book of Lamentations does is it gives us a language to deal with our emotions that maybe we're afraid to deal with, afraid to deal with our grief and sorrow, afraid to deal with our anger and frustration towards God. And it gives us a language. And ultimately what happens is that in our lament, it allows us to hope. Because that's, the, that's the, the, the end goal in all of this. It's not just to become a complaining session, but that in our lamentations, in our lament before God, it brings us the ability to actually hope again. So you must know your emotions. You must understand your feelings. You've got to be able to articulate them, present them in some way. And then you have to also be willing to acknowledge your afflictions. And this is where we're going to get into the meat of our time. So if you've got your Bibles, go into Lamentations. That was a really long intro. Go into Lamentations chapter 3. we got a lot to go through, folks. Lamentations chapter 3, right? Uh, I'm going to show a quick, uh, just a quick uh, literary thing. I think it's got a little triangle up on there. So if you want to impress people at the water cooler this week, you can. But you'll see down here on the bottom left, Lamentations chapter 1. We're kind of going up in this uh, pyramid section. But you've got Jerusalem's desolation in Lamentations 1. You've got God's judgment on the people of Israel in Lamentations chapter 2. And then you've got Jeremiah's response in Lamentations chapter 3, which is kind of the turning point, okay? It's the turning point. It doesn't change the flavor of the rest of the book, but it is a crucial piece for us to understand. So again, Lamentations 3, Jeremiah, we believe, walks up on the scene. He sees all these things. The people are scattered. The place, the buildings are all torn down. The high and holy temple where the Jews had to go and worship God was decimated. There were things happening inside the temple that were desecrating it. There were things that were occurring throughout the city that were just horrible and, and just this mind-boggling thing for Jeremiah to see. And then listen to what he begins to say to God Almighty. I'm going to read through these verses. Hopefully you don't get too afraid of me, but let me read through these verses. I'm a man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. 
Surely against me, God turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He's besieged and enveloped me with bitterness, tribulation. He's made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He's a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bit his bow and sent me as a target for his arrows. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I've become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunt all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. He made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Have we ever talked to God that way? Have we ever been so bold to describe God like a lion waiting to pounce on me? Have we ever been so bold to say, God, it's like you took your bow and arrow and you shot me. You filled my kidney with your quiver of arrows. Have we ever been so bold to say to God, I feel like my life is wasting away and you're not doing anything about it. Have we ever been so bold to tell him, you brought me from light into dark? That's not what you're supposed to do, God. You're supposed to bring me from dark into light. Have we ever been so bold to own the way that we feel, to own those terrible thoughts that come into our mind, and to turn to God? And to complain to God about the way that we feel and the way that we think. This is what Jeremiah models for us. The way that we take this lament, this pain, there's a lot of anger that's here, and how we bring it to God Almighty. God is big enough to handle you. God is big enough to handle your complaints. God is big enough to handle your pain. And God is big enough to handle your anger. The question is, do you bring it to him? Do I bring it to him? But it doesn't stop there. Jeremiah doesn't stop there. Look with me here in verse 19 and 20. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul, catch this, my soul continually remembers the pain, remembers it, remembers all of these things, and I am bowed down within me. That's a humility, that's a humbleness. But this, 
but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. If you stay in your lament, you're in the, what we call the proverbial cul-de-sac of despair, right? I mean, you live on a cul-de-sac, right? Come on, we all live in the burrs. We all have cul-de-sacs, right? You go into your cul-de-sac, and then you got those people who just go around in circles because who knows what they're doing or thinking, but they just go around endlessly, right? Or if you go on Baldwin and you go in all of our wonderful roundabouts, you see those people who just ride it. They just go over and over again, okay? Don't be that guy that goes over them, okay? But you just keep going around and around and around. That's called the cul-de-sac of despair, Think a little bit. Do you know anybody in your family who always lives in the cul-de-sac of despair? All they ever do is talk about how horrible things are in their life. They go over and over and over and over again. Think about those people at work. All they ever do is go around and around and around and around and around like life is never going to get better for this person. Are you that person? Do you live in that place where you're constantly I'm back again, I'm back again, I'm back again. I'm never going to find that hope. I'm just going to live here and embrace this. Because here, I have control. Because here, I know what these feelings are like. I know what my response will be, and I'm just going to stay here. What we see here in chapter 3 is the turn. The intentional turn I am, I am humbled by my afflictions. I am humbled by these things. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What he does is he remembers his God. Listen to what he says. The Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in him. This verse, Lamentations 3, 24. 22 through 24. This is the crux of this book of Lamentations. Because this is when the goodness of God is proclaimed, the goodness of God is put on display, and the goodness of God is vocalized with the intent for people to remember how good he truly is. Because that is what gives you hope. That is what helps you come from this cul-de-sac of despair and to take the exit out, and that exit out is hope. I want you to think about a guy. His name is Job. I don't know if you've read the book of Job before in the Old Testament. It's a powerful book. It's not one of those books that you necessarily want to start your day with, but it's one of those books that it will forever change and impact the way that you view who God is, the way that you view what your life could actually be like. And in this book of Job, what we see is Job walks through afflictions, not because of anything that he's done. He hasn't done anything. The only thing that he's done has been a faithful follower of God, and Satan goes to God and says, hey, let me test your homeboy, and let me see if he really is a follower of you. And what does God say? Of course, you can do whatever it is you want to him. You're just not allowed to take his life. Job has affliction after affliction after affliction come upon him. And people around him are like, bro, you did some horrible sin to have this kind of like 
life all of a sudden. You've lost your family. You've lost everything. You have boils. You've got all these things. What did you do? What horrible, sinful thing did you do? And Job's like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. And his closest friends tell him, well, you should curse God and tell God and just walk away from him because God's allowing these horrible things to happen to you. And Job never does. Because for Job, he always had this hope because he remembered his God. Let me tell you about this guy named David. I don't know if you've heard about him. He was a man after God's own heart, right? David, son of Jesse, kind of the runt of the litter, was chosen. Hey, go. I'm going to go fight Goliath and take him down with a sling and a stone. Oh, and then I'm going to become the king of Israel, and I'm going to establish the kingdom of Israel and Judah. I'm going to, I'm going to establish us in this region, and we're going to go, and we're going to wipe out other nations because God's told us to, and we're going to do this, and we're going to establish God's kingdom here on earth. And then I'm going to become a liar, a murderer, an adulterer. And I'm going to pay the price for that. God's going to take my child away. God disciplines and punishes David. The nation endures war. And God says, hey, you get to choose, David. What do you want the people of, uh, of Israel to go through right now? Because of your sin. Job had no sin experienced great turmoil. David legit had some sin and experienced great turmoil. The same thing for both of them, though, is their hope and their remembrance of who God is and his faithfulness and his love for them. The book of Psalms, the majority of it were written by David. David, who serves as an example for us, but sometimes Hard things in life happen because of our own sin. Job serves as an example for us that sometimes hard things in our life just happen. But what we can be like and take from both of these men is that like them, we can remember and have hope because of who God is. Let me read 22 through 24 again for us. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Your lament allows you to hope well. All of this, lamentations, the stories of David, of Job, what happened to the people of Israel, all of it happened centuries and centuries before Jesus. They didn't know Jesus. They had heard about him about a Messiah who would come and bring peace, about a Messiah who would come and give hope and a future. Today, you and I, church, we have Jesus. Because in our place of lament, in God's place of lament, where he looks at his creation and he says, you are not the way I wanted you to be because sin has entered into the world. Guess what I'm going to do because I love you so much and because I want you to have hope. I'm going to sacrifice my son for you because I love you. And in my pain and my anger and my sadness as God Almighty, rather than sit here in this place, this cul-de-sac of despair, I'm gonna choose to have hope and I'm gonna do so by choosing to trust in myself 
and I'm going to give you my son. That's the gospel. You don't deserve God's love. You don't deserve God's faithfulness. You don't deserve God's mercy. You can't do anything to earn it. He loves you because you are his creation. And he says, I love you. I want this for you. And I want you to be in relationship with me. And here's how we're going to do this. That is the hope of the gospel. That is how in our lament, how we are able to have hope because we know that we have a God who listens. We know we have a a perfect priest in Jesus who understands our struggles, who understands our needs, and he brings us through, through them. With Jesus, we can confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. 1 John 1, 9. With Jesus, he's able to sympathize with our burdens. That's Hebrews chapter 4. With Jesus, he's able to deliver us from temptation. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, with Jesus, he's able to keep us faithful to the end through the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. That's 1 Timothy 1. Great is God's faithfulness to you and to me as we continue to go through lamentations. Do you know your afflictions? Have you voiced those afflictions to God Almighty? Have you been honest with yourself? Have you been honest with him about how you feel? In the midst of all of that, are you remembering who God is? Are you remembering who he is, how he loves you, and his mercies that are new each and every single day? As a church, as followers of Jesus, when we begin to embrace these things, we don't run away from our pain or our anger, but instead we own it and we live it. We will look weak to a watching world, but that's okay because God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.